What's cooking, everybody? It's Monday, January 18th. Happy birthday, Martin Luther King Jr. And this is the Pork Hubs Food Guy Deep Dish Podcast, where we do a deep dive on all your favorite foods. I'm your host, Pork Hubs Food Guide Eric, a.k.a. The Goose, a.k.a. Spicy Gumdrop. And with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Pork Hubs Food Guide Meg, a.k.a. Lay Skunk, a.k.a. Candy Buttons. Hello. And together, we are the all-new Pork Couple for New Year's 2021. That's a joke. There's nothing new here. It's We're just out of intro quips already. So anyway, we hope you're hungry for some tasty knowledge facts because today your main course is going to be some gingerbread men. Let's get started with appetizers. We're off to a fucking fun start <laughs> today already. <laughs> Spilled my water, uh, knocking shit over. Like it hasn't even been that long since we filmed an episode. Like, it's only been, like, three and a half weeks or something, but, I don't know, we're just... Out of We're practice. on a roll. We got our sham <laughs> out of us soaking up the, the, the carpet already. I got forgot some... to charge the tablet, yeah, the so tablet that was, was dead. <laughs> it wasn't broken, it was dead. Well, yeah, okay, it was dead. It was out of battery. My, my sandals are soaking wet now from the water, mm-hmm. but, like I said, we got the sham wow in the case. Uh, you know, I'm glad sham wows still exist yeah. in, in our present situation with everything timeline. going on in the world and the current timeline. Like, especially given uh, um, Mike Lindell trying to, like, <laughs> incite, like, uh, military violence or something. Like, the worst thing that Vince from Shamo ever did was, like, get into a fight with a hooker. Yeah, so, like, punch a hooker. He, no, a hooker punched him. Oh, right. They got into a fight and they both punched each other. Oh, so, okay. if that's the worst thing that he's ever done, like, hey, like, <laughs> he makes a damn good towel. So, it's, like, it spokes up everything. I love the joke of like, I, I dropped my shamwell on my swimming pool and it took all the water away. What do I do now? Uh, fun fact, I went as Vince from ShamWow uh, for Halloween costume in like 2008, I think. Uh, I, I did a pretty good job. I'm not blonde or like uh, like dirty blonde like he is, but uh, I still pulled it all pretty well. I had my little headset. I got to try if I could find and dig up uh, a photo of it. I'm sure yeah, I have something somewhere. Yeah, you can pop it in the YouTube video. Yeah, for our, uh, for our viewers on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this week's appetizer, speaking of the new year, we figured we would talk about New Year's resolutions and plans and stuff for, I don't know, food that we want to cook for the for the cu- upcoming 2021. That's hopefully a little bit better yeah. than, uh, than 2020 was uh, as... I don't know. If you're listening to this in the far off future, I'm sure you've read in your history books about how 2021 was just a fucking just clusterfuck on top of a clusterfuck or with some... another clusterfuck crammed in between those. Or if somehow you're listening to this in the past, don't bother going to yeah. 2020. Just, <laughs> it's not flying it's not cars and laser beams. <laughs> it's like crashing cars and fucking pepper Dumpster spray. Dumpster fires, there I believe, is the running euphemism yeah uh but as far as new year's resolutions go um for starters like i mean for me like this is like i've been like working on and off on like an indie video game for like three years two or three years now and like shit's difficult (laughs) it's really hard to like i'm sure if you know anyone who's like even tangentially been involved in the video game business but like it's really freaking difficult to fucking crank out a video game so like hard enough when you have like an entire team of people doing it i'm doing it by myself so uh but my my resolution was that i want to try to get a prototype out of it by june and i already don't think i'm gonna meet that friggin' goal so we'll see what happens uh what about you my new year's resolutions were or are because i haven't technically broken them yet can't cross them off yet. yeah 
is to spend more time in my hammock, which I can't really do that until it's nicer out. But I want to spend more time in my hammock. Yeah, because we spent we went camping last year with the first time, and it was awesome. Yeah, so. first time with the hammock, not first well, yeah, time camping. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. For, yeah. We took it camping yeah. the first time. Um, and then to be able to do one unassisted, at least one unassisted pull-up, assuming gyms don't get shut down again. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. God forbid. that if, if gyms shut down again, then uh, that means the pandemic is going in a bad, bad direction. Yeah. Well, because I was supposed to be able to do pull-ups last year, Yeah. but then couldn't go to the gym yeah, for Yeah, pandemic happened and, and gym closed for, what, five months or something? Something like so, that. Yeah. And like, yeah. So maybe this year will be the year you can do it. Hopefully. And, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, like, food resolutions, like, we both want to, like, try cooking new things. Cause yeah. It's always fun to make new things. It's fun to make new things. And, like, I don't know. I feel like everyone who has, like, a household can, like, kind of relate to the idea that it's easy to get stuck in just like the regular cycle yeah. of just like ah oh, Monday's burgers and Tuesday's pasta, Wednesday's burgers and like so it's like I don't know. At the same time, like it's not really easy to just be like oh okay it's uh, it's Wednesday let's whip together this like crazy new recipe. Like I hate the concept that people have come up with on the internet of like this is a weekday food and this is a weekend food, but like. You know, realistically speaking, some recipes are a little bit more involved and, yeah. you know... Like, typically they, our Friday foods, like, yeah. they tend to be a little more involved just because, like, it doesn't matter as much if we eat at 10 o'clock at night yeah, as it does on, not, like, a not Tuesday. So much. Oh, man. Because uh, I, I know... I think it was last year or the year before, but we were like, we want to get into African food. Like, we really want to, like, try our hands at, like, learning, like, all, like, you know, as authentic as a couple of white fucking people can be, like, some authentic, like, African food. Because uh, there's this one recipe that we got a couple years ago that we really like. It's uh, it's called ma'afi. That is, it's kind of like peanut curry stew. It's made with like peanut butter, peanuts, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, chicken broth. It's like a very thick, hearty stew, but it almost resembles a curry because it's so thick. But like you eat it with like rice and stuff. It's like really tasty and like chicken and shit, obviously. Um, but yeah, so that was like, we realized that that was actually like a like dish that they cook in Africa. We were like, oh shit, like, this is good. Like, we should see what else they have. So. Yeah. Um, I feel like, didn't we just hear about some other African recipe? Or no, it was like a, no, it was African. A recipe on Supermarket Sweep, the contestant said that they make... I already forgot what it was called, though. Yeah. It was a rice dish, but it sounded really good. Yeah, I don't remember. I know what you're talking about, yeah. though. So, yeah, this year we'll try to we'll try our hand to make yeah. some African dishes. I also, um, um, I'm trying to figure out how to make this, like, chickpea salad that, I honestly don't remember if it was last year or the year before. We went to this Greek restaurant for my mom's birthday, because, like, everything before March last year feels like a separate year from last year, so like I said, I don't even remember. But, like, they had this really good, like, just, like, chickpea salad on the table. Or just, like, chickpeas and, like, onions and stuff and, like, oil. Like, you know, like oily vinaigrette thing or something. Like, good oil. Not, like, yeah. shitty oil. Yeah, not, like, like, the McDonald's oil. Yeah, like, no, like... Olive oil. Yeah, like, good olive oil. And it was just, like, so good. And, like, I kept going back and eating more. Like, I couldn't stop. And it was so good. So, like, I tried making a version over this past weekend that is also very good, but not the same. So one of my food goals for this year is to figure out how to make like that one, that specific one. I feel like if I just Google Greek chickpea salad though, it's all gonna come with like chickpeas and feta. And yeah, stuff. probably. 
But like I said today, like the fun part about ex experimenting is fun because like when you finally crack the case and you're like, I got it. Like that that feeling of like, like you did it is just so, so satisfying. Like I remember when I finally, after years of trying to figure out a good homemade recipe for chicken fingers and I finally settled on one, I was like, ah, oh, I did it. And then we got that yeah, like, we, got, the we got that fried chicken like flour mixture from like a closing supermarket and milked that for like five years. So I think we haven't actually oh, made well. chicken fingers since we finished that bag of breading. It was so good. It was yeah. really uh, good. A grocery store around here, Waldbaum's, they went out of business like six years ago or something. And we got this giant 10 pound bag. It was like a pillowcase sized bag of breading for fried chicken that they used to make their fried chicken in their supermarket. And we used that, and it was, like, on par with or better than the, like, recipe I devised over, like, five years slaving away. And, uh, yeah, we just finally finished it up, like, last year. So we milked it for, like, five or six years or something. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, no more chicken fingers. <laughs> so uh, I don't even know where that recipe is, actually, come yeah. to think of it. We might have it on our website. I don't remember. Yeah. Whatever. Is there any other foods we've been wanting to try making that we haven't yet? I always want to try making more curries because, like, curry is my jam. That's my, like, food specialty if I was, like, in an episode of Food Wars or something. But, uh, uh, I mean, I have that big book of Indian food or uh, Indian recipes that, like, mm -hmm. my mother got me. We and also have the Japan cookbook. We do. We do have that Japanese cookbook, too. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe, like, just in terms of, like, new food, we can just, like, look at the friggin' books that we <laughs> yeah. have and find some new recipes in there because, like... I know I I totally own up and totally admit the irony of saying this, but like I don't like reading like cooking websites. And I, it's a pain in the ass reading a recipe off a website for me personally. Like fuck that, that's stupid. And again, I know that that's what our whole website is, but please that continue aside, to use our website. Please continue to poorcouplesfoodguide.com. That's poorcouplesfoodguide.com, and let us know what your favorite recipe is. Uh, but seriously, though, like, we, we don't even put recipes up on our website anymore. That's why we started up Deep Dish, because it's more fun. Yeah. And because no one cares. Like, people all, like, I don't know. Google just steals your recipes and puts them in search results anyway, so that yeah. people don't actually get to click your website. Uh, but we're getting off track here. So let's wrap it up and move on to the origins of today's main course. Bread men are one of the most famous and recognizable cookies of all time. I'm pretty sure they're the only cookie to have their own nursery rhyme. These holiday favorites are sweet and spicy little biscuits, typically shaped in the form of a vague cartoonish human shape. We typically see them decorated with white icing to give them adorable little features like clothes and faces, as well as using fruit or candy or other small food trinkets for the eyes or buttons. Yeah, that said, you can still see gingerbread cookies that are shaped like all sorts of figures. Dogs and birds, cats, stars, angels, Christmas trees. Hell, last year we made gingerbread versions of our trademark goose and skunk spirit animals. Uh, person shapes just tend to be the most popular and most common one, however. While gingerbread men theoretically can be eaten any time of the year, they're most closely associated with Christmas time or winter. This likely comes from the notion that spices like ginger and cinnamon give a warming sensation in the body, and thus they became popular during the colder months, similar to pumpkin pie. Yeah, the addition of molasses and brown sugar gives them, like, a dark brown color, which is actually kind of uncommon when it comes to cookies. Because, like, most cookies tend to just have that, like, sort of, like, beige, like, yellowy color. Actually, like, that sounds like it should be, like, a real color now that I think of it. Like, cookie yellow or, like, 
That'd be cute. Like, how do we get a hold of Pantone and, like, make that their official color of the year for 2022? I did some searching, and apparently both Duron Paint and Benjamin Moore have paint colors called Sugar Cookie. Hopefully the colors look more like a cookie on the walls than they did in the little paint blob pictures online, though. That's cool. We'll look into that if we ever have to, like, repaint the apartment or if we get a house someday. <laughs> the, who, who the fuck knows? Uh, but, yeah, like... You never really think about it, though, because, like, if you'd never seen a gingerbread cookie before and you saw it next to a bunch of, like, butter cookies, you'd be like, oh, shit, these things are burnt. Like, they're just, like, I, I just like thinking about it. Like, they're, like, the darkest color, like, cookie out there. Yeah, like, that's not chocolate. Yeah, that's not chocolate, obviously. That's still just, like, a regular flavor. But, uh, yeah, like, nah, it's, they're not burnt. There's nothing <laughs> special. It's just there's molasses in it. So, uh, if you're wondering what molasses is or are, if you're British... Uh, molasses is basically like if sugar tasted bad, but was actually kind of good for you. So, in other words, it's nothing like sugar at all. Sort of. <laughs> when sugar gets made, they have to boil it repeatedly to filter out impurities. One of these impurities is molasses, which is a weird plant syrup found in sugarcane that actually contains a surprising number of nutrients and vitamins. Shh, don't tell the sugar crusaders that, though. That, like, if you tell them, like, some type of sugar could actually be, like, good for you, then uh, their heads might explode. <laughs> anyway, uh, these molasses, they generally get boiled out of the sugar during that process, because, like, molasses have, like, a very dark, pronounced flavor. It's kind of like honey, but, like, even stronger. It's like honey on steroids. Like, uh, it is sweet. It's sweet-tasting, but it also just does tend to taste kind of like dirt, or feet, or like dirty feet, or well, more like dirty feet covered with honey. Um, yeah. In spite of that, molasses does have a lot of cooking applications, notably, as we mentioned, gingerbread. It's not as popular as it used to be, probably because it used to be more of an ingredient that was made available out of necessity rather than desire. Yeah, so remember how back in the banana bread episode, uh, like episode five, we covered and theorized that banana bread, it, uh, it came out during the Great Depression. It mostly was like a means of avoiding throwing out bananas, which seemed like they were already spoiled. Uh, molasses is kind of in the same boat. You're basically like taking something that's a waste or a byproduct created by making normal sugar, and you're recycling that so you could actually use it to make other foods. Like... Today, we live in a very spoiled world where everyone is privileged and there can whip out a magic pocket machine like cell phone. You can click a button and you have expensive organic food shipped directly to your house within two hours. And then after you cook that organic food, they throw the leftovers in the garbage and you complain about how they have nothing to eat. And then the cycle begins all anew. Ah, it's a beautiful thing. And by beautiful, I mean fucking sickening. Because, uh, you know, Americans throw out about $150 billion, billion with a B, dollars of food every year. Like, eat your fucking leftovers, people. It's not rocket science. Like, upwards of 40 million tons get thrown away every year. Motherfucker. Anyway, in the past, people used to not be spoiled pieces of shit, and, you know, they valued their food. So they wanted to get every last bit of value out of it. So rather than throw away some weird old murky plant goo, they figured, hey, this stuff is still edible, so, you know, let's throw in some pastries and shit. Because of that, it was the cheapest sweetener available for centuries, and was the most popular type of sugar in the U.S. up until the 1880s. 
Yeah, but unfortunately, over the last century or so, uh, it seems like molasses fell out of favor because, well, life just became so damn good for the Western world. <laughs> you could still find it in stores, but it's, you know, you're just probably more likely to find a recipe that features pubic hair in it than you are to find one with molasses in it with a Google search in 2020 <laughs> or 2021. Fun fact, did you know that in 1919, a huge molasses processing plant in Boston exploded, which released over 2 million gallons of molasses out into the street, destroying part of the city? Over 20 people died. Wait a minute, that's not a fun fact. <laughs> that's a horrible fact. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, the Great Molasses Disaster of 1919 was a really, really big deal. It uh, it injured over 150 people, and uh, it lived on in like local folklore in the Northeast for decades. Basically what happened was there was this gigantic storage tank at the Purity Distillation Company in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, this storage tank failed when they added like a new load of molasses into it from a transportation truck. The warm new batch that they were adding in uh, caused temperature changes in the storage tank, which was cooler, and this really, uh, it created like thermal expansion, and thus, kaboom. Sounds kind of like when like there's a nuclear meltdown, except like things were very sticky instead of radioactive afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> basically what followed was one of the most comically tragic disasters in American history. Um, a 25-foot-tall wall of molasses exploded forth, and it flooded the surrounding area. Like, it was traveling at, like, 35 miles per hour. It destroyed the elevated surrounding tracks overhead the area. It demolished buildings, and it swept away trucks out into the harbor. And as mentioned, like, uh, you know, a lot of people were hurt and killed. Like, 21 people were killed by it. Like, jeez, what a friggin' way to go. Like, drowned in sugar goo. And then, like, morbidly, uh, when we were reading up on this, it said that, like, rescuers couldn't find some of these, like, victims, like, for days because their bodies were just, like, glazed over in molasses. Like, it was just coating everything in the area. Like, yee, like, candy-coated corpses. Oh. Fuck. Apparently, for months afterwards, molasses ended up getting tracked all over the place in the city. In buildings, stores, through the subways. It was to the point that people said everything you could touch in the city ended up sticky. Even areas that were pretty far away from the disaster. Supposedly, legends say that the whole area ended up reeking of molasses for years and years. And even after it was fully cleaned up, several decades later, you could still get whiffs of molasses on warm summer days. Holy shit! What an insane turn of events. Like... It's just crazy, like a giant flood of like this sweet, sticky syrup. Like it sounds like it sounds like a fun time. Like it may be even kind of kinky. Like in this situation, though, like part of the issue was that it took place in January. So you ever hear the phrase like, oh, like molasses don't run in winter. Like it's thicker than molasses in winter. Uh, molasses is a really fucking thick and sticky when you cool it down. Like when it's like really cold, like freezing temperatures, it gets very thick. So instead of getting hit by like hit by a wall of like delicious runny syrup, it was like getting run over by a steamroller made of brown sugar basically. Like it's like it said it was going 35 miles per hour, which like for us doesn't even sound that fast, but like for a liquid just moving yeah. and also like considering it was like 1990, like cars probably weren't even yeah. going that fast then. I mean uh, I mean I used to be an EMT, so I can say like I like 35 miles per hour doesn't sound fast, but, like, actually, if you get hit by a 35-mile-per-hour car, like, you could die. Like, yeah. 35 seems really slow when you're driving a car, 
But when you're hit by a car, you're hit by anything going yeah, through, going miles through per like hour. you get really hurt. So just imagine a, a thick ass wall liquid thing just like coming at you. That like what do you even think in that situation? Just like huh like what and how and then as you're done with that thought you're run over and you're just drowning like jesus huh like it's actually kind of funny because it sort of coincides with like the decline of popularity in molasses in the 20th century like i mean i don't know but like i wouldn't be surprised if like some people at least in the northeast subconsciously were just like when they're reaching for like a a sweetener they're just like "Hmm." Molasses? Ho oh, ho, no thank you. I'll stick with good old non-murderous white table sugar. Thank you very much. Like, imagine if like people running around like mobs with like pitchforks and stuff and they're just like tearing down molasses and it's like, well make sure this never happens again. Jeez. Anyway, another key ingredient in gingerbread is um ginger. Whoa, who could have seen that coming? <laughs> We covered ginger in our pumpkin spice latte episode before, so we'll give it a little bit of a review. Actually, ginger, cinnamon, cloves, huh, a lot of the same spices that go into pumpkin spice are also used in gingerbread, come to think of it. Huh. That's a good point, actually. Why the hell haven't basic bitches latched onto gingerbread men the same way that they're obsessed with pumpkin spice lattes? Like, I don't think it's because of the sugar content or something, because, like, you know, hell, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, cookies actually have less sugar than pumpkin spice lattes do. <laughs> yeah. Those things are shit. What if it's, like, what if it's, what if it's deeper than that? Like, what if the pumpkin spice crowd has finally gone woke? Like, what if, by referring to them as gingerbread men, we're just reinforcing the subconscious attachment to the patriarchal setup of modern Western society? Like, some sort of strange, implicit Stockholm Syndrome. And by eating these cookies and calling them men, we insist that by default, all beings, whether they be made of flesh or made of cookie, are just assumed to be male. And thus, by detaching yourself, from the shackles of these gender-based cookies, you can free yourselves from the endless cycle of misogyny and self-loathing. <laughs> I, I, I'm just kidding here. We all know that the pumpkin spice crowd isn't smart enough to do that kind of critical thinking. So, nah. Nah, come on. They like carrying coffees around because it makes you look important and cosmopolitan to be like, oh, I got it. For that matter, why are gingerbread lattes even a thing when most of the ingredients in gingerbread are already in pumpkin spice lattes? Does anyone at Starbucks know that? Or are they all too jittery to realize it? <laughs> uh, joking aside, though, we could probably chalk this all up to the same reason that pumpkin spice foods became popular in the winter months. Uh, cinnamon and ginger and all those other good spicy spices, like they create a very warm sensation on the tongue and in the body when you eat them. So conversely, gingerbread... It tends to be a wintertime food in general, with gingerbread men specifically getting a lot of playtime at Christmas. Now, ginger specifically is the weird spicy skin that gets served alongside your sushi, which you're supposed to eat as a palate cleanser, but most people throw out because they're stupid. Oh, uh, yeah, and besides that, ginger is also a plant that grows edible roots in the Zingtiberaceae family, used for making soda, cookies, and types of curry. If you live in an incredibly sheltered life and you've never seen just, like, regular straight ginger in non-powdered form, well, it's like if a guy suffering from hypervolemic edema with really, really dry skin and psoriasis buried his hand underground. Uh, or maybe if you, like, took, like, a really fat reindeer and cut off its antlers... (laughs) Mm, Beast little mm, reindeer. I know we're really doing a good job making it sound tasty, huh? 
Uh, really though, ginger is like it's actually really ugly looking. It's a good thing that they make it in powder form because like it's it's kind of gross looking. Yeah, some of them are. Yeah, they're really gnarly. Yeah, ginger first appears in what in written history in China during the time of Confucius around 300 BC. It seems to have originally been grown in Asia. Yeah, it became very popular originally due to its strong, strong like spicy flavor, uh, which gave it a good ability to disguise like the taste of old preserved meat. Which let's be real, like. There's very little way to make old meat taste good. <laughs> Even if it's preserved and edible, eh, I don't think they were just like whipping together like artisan, <laughs> masterful, like preserved beef jerky back then. So much as they were just kind of like, yo, uh, what if we bury this chicken leg in the dirt when it's cold out? You think it'll be good in a month? <laughs> I mean, sure, it was handcrafted, but it was crafted with hands that had also an alarmingly high chance of being covered in cow shit at the time <laughs> of preparation. Anyway, ginger was popular in the Middle Ages as well due to its potential medical uses. King Henry VIII supposedly spent time trying to create a ginger concoction that would protect him from catching the plague. Wait, has anyone tried leaving ginger in the sun for a few days to see if it kills COVID? Quick, get our top scientists on this ASAP. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, as a, as is a running theme here, most of like the exotic spices like ginger and cloves, like they're, they're native to Asia, like ginger, cinnamon, cloves, they all come from Asia or Austronesia, which encompasses all the Pacific islands, Madagascar and Southeast Asia. I mean, it makes sense. There's a reason the spice trades became such a huge deal in history. White people were tired of having their food taste like a wet mop. So when they discovered at least Middle Eastern and Asian people romping around partying with these awesome spice concoctions, you bet your ass they were excited to finally get their hands on some new ingredients for their food. You think that like the spice trade back then was like the like tech industry now? Like people would be like lining up to get their hands on, like the new overpriced branch that was like super fucking trendy at the time. Like, oh shit, you're still using allspice? <laughs> get with the fucking times, brah. They just put coriander on sale. <laughs> fucking dipshit but yeah most if not all these spices can only be grown in like very very specific conditions and as such uh you couldn't have them in europe you had to import them and they became very highly sought after as a result cinnamon for example uh that comes from the bark of cinnamon trees go figure and uh this is a repeat fun fact from our pumpkin spice latte episode but it's a good one so we'll repeat it Anyway, fun fact, cinnamon trees are actually chopped down to harvest the bark to make cinnamon, but the trees actually regenerate, so they don't actually die from this process. So the cinnamon can just be, like, harvested over and over and over again, and, like, the trees keep regrowing and respawning for, like, generations upon generations. So, yay, sustainable cinnamon. Cloves, meanwhile, are a type of flower plucked from the clove tree before they mature and are then left out to dry which turns them into hard little branches that smell like a hippie store. <laughs> so, with all these spices in tow, Europeans started creating all sorts of cool new recipes and shit. One of these new dishes was gingerbread, which was based on older recipes that come from more eastern areas like ancient Egypt. Egypt specifically had a confection similar to cake, which featured honey and ginger, which was prepared for pharaohs as an afterlight treat for them after the mummy process. Yeah, similarly, the ancient Romans and Greeks had similar honey cakes, which were utilized in a um, far less noble manner. We'll talk about that later, but uh, we'll just say it involved orgies. Wow, that's a hell of a clickbait cliffhanger. But it's for the best. It'll give people a good reason to listen to the next section, which goes over the invention of gingerbread men. Anyway, this seems like as good a point as any to point out that when we say gingerbread... 
Right now, we're not really talking about gingerbread men or cookies yet. This may not be common knowledge to people who are outside of Totski Culinary Academy, but gingerbread is a uh, um, type of bread, <laughs> sort of. Gingerbread on its own is actually a cake-like sweet loaf. It's kind of similar to like pumpkin bread or banana bread. Permanent versions of it existed in the Middle East and Asia since BC times. However, the more modern version of it existing as more of a dessert was thought to have been created later on around the 15th century. Yeah, after the idea for ginger-flavored baking goods was brought over to Europe around the year 1000 AD, uh, a few different versions of them started floating around. In the 1400s, you had Polish bakers that created a very, very bread-like version called Torun gingerbread, which is actually still being baked to this very day in traditional bakeries in Poland. There's also records of gingerbread loaves being cooked by Swedish nurses, where it was used to treat stomach ailments around the same time. Man, I want to get cake as medicine. Yeah. Imagine going to the nurse in school because you felt nauseous or wanted to get a test or whatever, and instead of being given shitty stale saltines and an ice pack wrapped in one of those industrial brown paper towels, you got to just eat some gingerbread. That would be awesome. The, the, those brown paper towels, like, those were not... Those were not good for anything except cutting people. They you, are the opposite of a sham wow. Yeah, you could cut a bitch with those brown paper towels. They didn't absorb water, but they were sharp as shit. And somehow they trusted them with every, like, third grader on the planet. God forbid you had to blow your nose with yeah. one of them. Rest in peace, nose. God. Oh, but anyway, come the 1500s, the sweet cake-like version had made its way over to the United Kingdom, finally, based on a definition by the British lexiconographer John Barrett, who defined it as a type of cake made to comfort the stomach. What the frig is a lexiconographer, anyway? Hmm. Apparently, it's the study of an act of compiling definitions for words. Sounds like a pretty sweet gig, especially during the Middle Ages when fact-checking and sourcing didn't seem particularly popular. Yeah, like, man, could you just imagine being, like, into, like, studying vocabulary and stuff back then? Like, you're just writing in your dictionary, recording all these definitions down, and then you come across a word you need a definition for, and you're just like, fuck, what, uh, what's a dunderpate? Hmm, let's see, let's, uh, nothing here, nothing, nothing in this book. Ah, fuck it, dunderpate. Noun. One who steals the undergarments of unwed women and uses them to cook a stew for long life and health. Nailed it. Like, there wasn't fact-checking because you were just making the facts. Yeah. <laughs> you were making You were inventing up. the facts. <laughs> but yeah, so by the 1600s, gingerbread loaves were popular all over Europe, both as a tasty treat and as fucking medicine. Yeah. Yeah, and before someone steps into actually this discussion, ginger does have antibacterial properties, which is why it is popular in toothpaste and oral rinses. It can also act as a mild anti-inflammatory, which helps it to ease muscle cramps, be it from exercising or just because you're on your period. And last, but certainly not least, the fact that nurses and shit were giving it to patients with upset stomachs, well, they were onto something because probably the most acclaimed benefit from ginger is that it helps ease types of indigestion. So cool. Go ginger. Just uh, don't chug a bottle of ginger ale and then ask why your stomach hurts afterwards. I don't think we need to explain why. I hope we don't need to explain why. Though actually, my grandma would give me ginger ale sometimes if I had an upset stomach. But it was just like a glass, and I wouldn't chug it. Yeah. I would drink it at a normal pace. <laughs> I think I think they... I think... I question if ginger ale actually... like I don't think ginger ale in stores has enough like ginger essence to actually do anything. But like maybe if you have like, the fancy... like All the like craft 
sodas or whatever mm. out there maybe you could get something out of there but like and my parents did the same thing my I'm mother sure <laughs> yeah my mother was like here have have, have some ginger ale for stomach dry or whatever. it tastes good though at it the does. very least but yeah so anyway while gingerbread loaves were pretty mainstream by the 17th century we still need to look up the actual origin story for gingerbread cookies specifically if we're talking about gingerbread men for this episode. So with that, let's get nitty and let's get gritty because now we'll be taking a look at the invention of gingerbread men. So as we mentioned, by the time the Middle Ages rolled around, gingerbread as a whole was already fairly popular. We already established that gingerbread and gingerbread men are two different things, but I guess it's worth pointing out part of the reason for this is that before modern versions were created, it mostly just meant any type of confection that contained ginger and honey or molasses. Obviously, this sort of leaves the door open for all sorts of variations. Yeah, like we covered the main version of gingerbread, which is a type of bread, cake, thingamajig, mashup, but now, since it's the topic for this episode, we're going to focus on gingerbread men. But, uh, you know, like, uh... Before that, like, there were also some types of candy that also got included in the old GB party. Uh, some of them were chewy, almost like a taffy. Some of them were spicy, gingery hard candies. I know gingerbread was, like, a new, interesting concept, but, like, come on, guys. It's gingerbread, not <laughs> ginger lifesavers. Like, it's not friggin' rocket science. Anyway, part of the reason for the word gingerbread existing, it actually comes from the term gingerbread, or braid, which loosely translates to preserved ginger. Like... Ginger is spelled with a Y, and breed is spelled B-R-E-D-E, but ginger is spelled with a Y instead of an I. I guess kind of like if, like, uh, a rich, yuppie asshole, like, adopted it and wanted to give it, like, a cool, trendy name. Like, oh, yes, I'm pleased to introduce you. This is my son, Ginger. He just took his 23rd step this morning. Oh, that's an interesting name, like, Ginger. This way, no, not Ginger, Ginger. You've got to say it like you're a B-movie Igor character. <laughs> ginger. <laughs> Huh. Makes me wonder if, like, after they started making breads out of it, somebody stood up and was like, hey, guys, you want to just call it ginger bread? Or, like, was it the opposite? Did, like, the name slowly morph into ginger bread, and then somebody who stood up and was like, yo, if it's called ginger bread now, what if we just, like, make it a bread? Either way, over time, we ended up with the bread cakes, and those eventually were modified into thin little biscuits by the 1500s. Part of this evolution into cookie form probably comes from the existence of marzipan thins, which were popular at the time. If you're not familiar with marzipan, it's one of the blandest desserts in the world that still counts as a dessert. It's mostly just sugar and almond paste, which then gets made into a dough that can be eaten raw or baked crisp. Yeah, uh, it's basically just like edible Play-Doh. It doesn't really have much of a flavor. Like, I think the only reason it exists is because in its raw form, it's very pliable and you can mold it into a lot of different shapes pretty easily. So, like, as such, during the Middle Ages, marzipan got cut into little figures like men and women and animals. Wait a minute. Cut into little shapes like little men. Oh, shit! <laughs> you know where this is going. That's right. During the 1600s, the custom of baking marzipan as little dudes and dudettes rubbed off into gingerbread as well, which started taking on the form of crisp biscuits. Yeah, the biscuit form seems to be originally attributed to Queen Elizabeth I's bakers, who they would back up, uh, they would bake up batches of gingerbread cookies in the shapes of the Queen's most important guests at the time. And honestly, amen to that. That's some big league hospitality. Imagine showing up to somebody's house and they're like, here, accept these cookies, which were designed in your image. It's a demonstration of my good graces to accept you here. 
I believe the modern day equivalent of that, I guess it would be like those socks that you can print your dog's face <laughs> on. You just like give people like a pair of socks with their own face on them. I think we were considering doing that as a gift to the people in our bridal party. We were. We were thinking of giving that as, uh, as the bridal party gift. I think they're called pup socks. I think there's a few different ones. Yeah, there's but pup the... socks is the one I used for your... Yeah, pupsocks.com. Go... <laughs> Go get socks with your face on them and then wear them. Just show everyone like, ah, ah, here they are. <laughs> anyway, the biscuits became popular enough that they appeared outside of the royal court. With good reason, too. Not only were they a tasty treat, but just like their bread counterpart, gingerbread cookies were also lauded as medicine. Yep. Apparently, it was common for medicine men to wander the countryside and they would give gingerbread out as, uh, or gingerbread men, they would give them out as good luck tokens and special charms for women that wanted to win over the affection of a man. The idea was that girls who were lusting after someone could go to these folk practitioners, describe the object of their affection, and the medicine man would bake up a cookie that resembles the dude. If the girl could get him to eat it, he would fall in love with her and they would live happily ever after. Aww. But uh, yeah, we're using the term medicine men uh, very loosely here since, you know, cookies made to help horny peasant girls win over the boy next door doesn't really qualify as medicine. But hey, who are we to judge? After all, we're all injecting microchips into our veins so we can be controlled by evil Chinese 5G distributors. And of course, that would be some good old fashioned sarcasm. So please don't write into us. Uh, well, actually, please write in if you do believe that vaccines are secretly just filled with microchips so that we can just roast you and make fun of you in the next episode. It's unclear whether these medieval equivalents of Dr. Oz got the idea from Queen Elizabeth Baker's or if it predated that. But given that ginger and gingerbread already had a reputation for helping ailments, it's not surprising to see these old-timey hippie docs handing it out to girls who would present it as a sort of middle-aged valentine. Kind of similar, slightly R-rated fun fact, but the practice of girls giving magic love potion cookies to boys that they wanted to win over is kind of similar to a modern Valentine's Day practice for some of the edgier, we'll call them, girls in Japan. Uh, apparently around Valentine's Day, it's said that some Japanese girls will go to some extreme lengths to ensure that their loves are reciprocated on White Day, which is a holiday in March where the it's reversed. Boys get... Uh, they're, they, boys give chocolates to girls. Valentine's, the girls give the chocolates to boys. So supposedly when making homemade chocolates, some girls on, uh, social media have claimed to add some incredibly personal ingredients to it. And by personal ingredients, I mean menstrual blood or pubic hair. Oh, no! Uh, yeah, in spite of the fact that this is, uh, the same country that has, like, robots working convenience stores and hologram anime security guards helping people out in airports, uh, this trend was from a few years ago, apparently because, uh, girls believed including part of your body in chocolates was, uh, it was a way to cast spell on boys and you would guarantee you would get chocolate back from them. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna get pubic hair in your cookie, it's probably better if it's from your cute coworker and not a total stranger, right? I won't tell you what was in dinner last night. Hmm. <laughs> How come I never got any pubic hair chocolate from you on Valentine's Day? I mean, I'm sure you probably had. <laughs> uh, moving on from, uh, from pubic hair to, actually, no, we're not moving on from pubic hair necessarily. <laughs> never mind. Go Moving ahead. forward with pubic hair. <laughs> Interestingly, this wouldn't be the first time that gingerbread was linked to sex and romance. 
Back in ancient Rome, apparently it was a common practice for men getting ready to participate in orgies to eat honey cakes or early gingerbread cakes to help stimulate their libidos, ensuring that they were a- they were able to pull uh, put on a full performance later on. And by full performance, I mean fuck lots of dudes. Ah, yes. What what was it with Rome and its and its orgies? They seem to like them. Hilariously enough, though, though, like these little aphrodisiac cakes that they would whip up beforehand, uh, they were kind of similar to modern-day gingerbread men since they were often shaped like little people. And they were also anatomically correct. (laughs) Man, you know, you really got to give them credit. Like, we make gingerbread men almost every year, and it is a pain in the ass, like slaving over these little cookies, like over and over, like 30 of them, nailing all the little details. But then these guys, they just, like, go ahead and, like, they make sure every single one has, like, the right corresponding genitals and everything. Like, damn, that is commitment. Can you imagine being the, like, baker who needs to repair those? (laughs) Hey, Leonidas, I'm going to need another three dozen orgy bread men. Ooh, sounds like someone's going to have a fun time tonight. Uh, I don't know, man. My neck is kind of stiff and just not really feeling it. I'm gonna need to do a real real good job on the dicks this time make sure i get that turbo boost when i need it in the 15th round of dry humping uh sure sure i'll i'll, I'll make sure to do a good thanks leon make sure you make him nice and thick you're a good baker <laughs> man who'd have thought this episode was gonna be so damn horny <sighs> shit maybe old sylvester graham the insane miserable cultist inventor of the graham cracker was right this whole time he thought eating things with like a flavor, like ginger, like he thought that they they make you want to have sex and make you have impure thoughts, and maybe they really do make you want to have sex. Maybe they do make you impure. Huh. I guess we have a lot of apologizing mm-hmm. to do. I guess well, we better get on that. Well, it's been fun, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day, and have a nice, chaste afternoon. And for more insight on that joke, go listen to our s'mores episode in which we focus heavily on the Grahamites and their leader, Sylvester Graham, who he invented a terrible early version of Graham crackers to try to trick his followers into living pure, miserable lives. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of crackers, let's finally move back to gingerbread biscuits. So as mentioned, in the 1600s, gingerbread cookies were catching on as a crunchier alternative to standard gingerbread loaves. And much like the ancient sexually charged Roman versions, they were already being shaped into little persons as well. Yeah, during this period, gingerbread men were a common fixture at medieval fairs, while they were uh, they would get cut into a, vir- a variety of shapes such as, well, men, but also women and sometimes farm animals as well. Their popularity at this time actually led to the point that the fairs ended up being called gingerbread fairs. The shapes of the gingerbread would change depending on the time of year, sort of like mid- Middle Ages version of limited edition varieties that we have today. Like, for example, springtime might feature flower cookies and fall would have bird-shaped gingerbread. That's actually surprisingly novel and, like, cute and fun of them. <laughs> like, considering this was all taking place in a time period where, like, people literally threw their shit into the streets <laughs> because they didn't have sewers. It's worth noting, though, at this time, gingerbread men were still more of a biscuit rather than a proper cookie. But this all finally changed during the 1800s when home baking became more popular. Bear in mind, 19th century is when we first started seeing advancements in baked goods like baking soda and baking powder, and as such, it became a lot more realistic for people to actually cook up some treats at home instead of relying on the local baker every single time. 
Yeah, with this, by the 1850s, bakers in European countries started using butter and cream and eggs, which resulted in the sweet, spicy cookie that we have today, gingerbread men. Interestingly, the non-cookie version, regular gingerbread loaves, were a favorite of the Washington family in early America. George Washington's mother, Mary Ball Washington, had a recipe that she passed down through the family, which actually survives to present day. You can actually look it up on mountvernon.org and bake it for yourself. Man, first George Washington gave us the gift of democracy, and then he gave us the concept of just a two-term presidency, and then he gave us fucking gingerbread. Truly a god among men. At this point in time, it was already common for gingerbread men to be decorated with icing and candies, so they actually haven't changed that much in the past century and a half. Over time, the cookies and gingerbread as a whole, they became heavily associated with Christmas and wintertime in general due to the addition of all those warming spices we mentioned earlier. As we covered in our episode about pumpkin spice lattes, hashtag throwback, hashtag don't stop plugging, hashtag PSL, hashtag fall y'all, hashtag hashtag, hashtag this joke has run its course. Uh, we went over the concept of pumpkin spices and the idea that they're common food that gets eaten during the cold months. This is almost definitely because spices like ginger and cinnamon tend to create a warm sensation in the body when eaten. So they probably come in handy after they probably came in handy in an era when begging your boss to toss a single coal on the fire could be used as a plot point in storytelling. Yeah, come to think of it, it seems like those Romans knew what they were doing, like using ginger cakes as like a orgy pre-gamer. I, I guess the combination of warm spice and Christmas affiliation and just tasting awesome was enough to like cement gingerbread as like a, a perennial favorite for much of the Western world since now you can find them pretty much anywhere, especially in winter now. But obviously the story doesn't stop there because now it's time to get modern and we're going to see what people have been doing with gingerbread men in recent history. <laughs> mentioned before gingerbread men are heavily associated with christmas and wintertime cinnamon and sugar uh cinnamon and ginger as we keep saying have a nice warm feeling to them so what better biscuit to snack on than something with a nice zing like gingerbread after all as we said before it's in the scientific name of the family zingerberaceae the ginger family as you'd imagine they're a popular christmas cookie and many households bake them in their annual baking marathon each year or well, I guess if you're not from an Italian-American household, you might not be familiar, but come December, it's tradition to crank out batch after batch after batch of Christmas cookies to the point that you just, like, run out of fucking cookie tins to store them in. Like, we're talking an absurd, just comical amount of cookies. So many that you bring a bunch to Christmas parties, send them to friends and family, and even after all that, you're still eating them for several weeks after Christmas. <laughs> we still have Christmas cookies left, and it's several weeks after <laughs> Christmas, so checks out. That all said, gingerbread don't necessarily have to be eaten only at Christmas, and even though they're heavily tied to winter, you can find them in bakeries or find store-bought versions of them year-round. Another common way to consume gingerbread is in the form of gingerbread houses, though I feel like that's kind of a generous description considering that it seems like most people don't actually eat their gingerbread houses after they finish making them. It's kind of sad, actually, because, like, we have this, like, fun tradition, but it probably results in so much wasted food every year. 
To be fair, I feel like what happens is most people make exactly one gingerbread house in their life, realize what a gigantic pain in the ass it is, and never do it again. <laughs> so at worst, we're look, maybe looking at like one batch of gingerbread wasted per person per lifetime. Good. It's the American way. I feel like a lot of people actually also sometimes cheat and use graham crackers for their gingerbread house. That's dumb. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've heard today. That's not a... Like, hey, do you want some chicken tikka masala? <laughs> And by chicken tikka masala, I mean it's just graham crackers with masala sauce on. On the plus side, though, we're probably really pissed off Sylvester Graham that his graham crackers are being used in a festive, joyous manner. Festive, joyous manner to construct a freaking sugar house to celebrate (laughs) Christmas time. (laughs) Fuck you, Sylvester Graham. I I will never get tired of making fun of him. (laughs) Generally, gingerbread houses are made from large gingerbread cookies shaped like pieces of a building. Instead of cement, you use icing to glue everything together and decorate it with gumdrops and candy buttons and mints and all sorts of confections that they haven't made since the 1960s. <laughs> uh, hot take, but uh, gumdrops suck. Like, good fucking riddance. Like, I'm glad you don't really see them anywhere. Like, they look way better than they actually are. Like, they don't have a flavor aside from sugar, sugar, shitty, sweet. Like, the texture is somewhere caught in between, like, good, chewy gummies and, like, jiggly soft jello. They're this weird like uncanny valley in the tw- in the middle where it's like and you bite in and it kind of like melts but it's also springy like does anyone actually like gumdrops though like does this count as a hot take like <laughs> i guess it might be a hot take for old people like i'm skeptical about how many kids have actually like eaten gumdrops today in their lifetime yeah i'm pretty sure the last time i ate a gumdrop it was at my grandma's house back in the 90s which like we're not gonna say how long ago that was because i trust you all can do math and i don't want to fade away to dust <laughs> Okay, so it's like uh it's like a warm take then. Like gumdrops are trash. Fuck gumdrops. Like friggin' anachronistic cubes of gelatin and corn syrup. Ugh. Gingerbread houses though, uh theoretically they can be yummy. It's just the main problem with them is you spend all this time invoking your inner art vandalay and you construct this work of art and it's sitting on the table and now what? Like you're not gonna just eat the whole thing and destroy it, like I don't know. Similarly, like, I feel like most people probably aren't going to be satisfied just, like, just ripping off one wall for dessert and they you just leave the rest of the building standing missing a wall. It looks ugly. Also, it's probably an OSHA violation. Instead, you end up with a work of art that sits on your cake stand for a week or so, and then when you're finally ready to eat it, it's rock hard and stale because cookies really aren't designed to hold up and stay fresh in a non-airtight environment. There's a reason cookie tins and jars have tight seals. Yeah, I guess probably the best way to do it is those, like, teensy-tiny mini gingerbread houses that, like, everybody makes in first grade that are, like, four inches tall. Like, the ones that could totally be eaten in, like, one sitting. It's it's a low ceiling for commitment, and, like, there's no guilt if you binge through it in, like, one sitting. Listeners, please, if you've ever successfully baked a gingerbread house and eaten it before it went stale, let us know. Leave a comment or write into mail at poorcouplesfoodguide.com. We need to know. <laughs> anyway, besides gingerbread houses, though, like, you see all sorts of gingerbread shapes now. Like, gingerbread men and women have been around for centuries, but that's boring. Instead, like, now you've got, like, this plethora of licensed cookie cutters out there. You can make gingerbread Death Stars and gingerbread Mickey Mouse, gingerbread Ninja Turtles, and gingerbread Charmander. <laughs> Gingerbread zombies and gingerbread skeletons are big at Halloween now, and, like, eggs and chicks get some playtime at Easter. Hell, everybody's already seen, like, probably one of the top five, like, food portmanteau puns of all time. Ninjabread men. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. Little ninja cookie cutters, like... Uh, Side note, though, um, 
In addition to being a cookie cutter set, Ninja Bread Man is also the name of an ill-fated video game uh, released on the PS2 and Wii back in like the mid-2000s. Apparently it was supposed to be like a, like it was supposed to be part of this like old game series I've never heard of called Zool. Uh, apparently, like, that game already had, like, like, it was a ninja character, and it, like, but it was cartoony, so there was, like, one of the worlds was a candy-themed world. But so this, uh, dev studio, they put together a prototype, they pitched it to the old owners of this Zool franchise. Um, but yeah, the, the owners of Zool were not impressed, <laughs> and they didn't give them the license. <laughs> like... That's rough. Yeah. Like, imagine, like I, I legit have never heard of the series Zool, like Zool, the video game series. I've never heard of it. And like, I have just like an absolutely stupid percent of brain storage devoted to like video game trivia in history. So like, if I never heard of it, it's got to be pretty like niche, like pretty out there. And even with that, even with that, how small it was, the company that owns it saw this prototype was like, eh, no thanks. <laughs> Like, that's got to be a real blow to the self-esteem of everybody who worked on that prototype. Like, basically, yeah, our franchise hasn't seen a release in a decade, and nobody on the planet's ever heard of it. But, you know, I think we're just going to pass on this one. Following this, the studio, uh, because they couldn't use it for that, like, Zool series, they just converted it into Ninja Bread Man. Uh, they crapped it out anyway, despite the fact that it was garbage, and it went down as one of the lowest-reviewed video games of all time. <laughs> Oh, boy. I guess when you put that work into it, you may as well just put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the relative infamy for Gingerbread Man, one of the bigger, better-received portrayals of a gingerbread character in recent years was Gingy from Shrek. I believe he's appeared in all four Shrek films, and the musical as well? Good for him. In the original one, Lord Farquhar tortures him while interrogating him for information on Shrek and Donkey. Say what you will about the Shrek franchise, but, like, regarding Lord Farquaad... You gotta give him credit for just, like, that double entendre joke. Like, they snuck the word fuckwad into a family film under millions of people's <laughs> noses. And tons of them didn't realize it until years later. Like, to this very day, there's probably a lot of people who still probably don't know. Like, you have a, a Scottish character saying farquad over <laughs> and over. Farquad, fuckwad. Like, come on. That's brilliant. Good for them. <laughs> the character of Gingy is based off the gingerbread man fable... I think it counts as a fable. Bah. Fairy tale? Story. Where a lonely childless couple make a boy out of gingerbread to make up for the lack of human children, like you do. And as soon as they open the oven, the gingerbread person leaps off the pan and runs away. It kind of reminds me of the ungrateful, non-perfect snowman in Animal Crossing. Ugh. You give something life and it just negs you and or runs yeah, away. Yeah, you put them together. It's like, ooh, my head is a centimeter too small. Fuck you. How do you not know how to make a snowman? I'm not giving you any presents. <laughs> Anyway, TLDR version of Gingerbread Man story is the cookie runs away from an increasingly diverse cast of characters, including animals and humans, all while chanting, run, run, as fast as you can, you can't catch me, I'm the Gingerbread Man, and then he eventually gets eaten anyway. Oh, sorry, spoiler sorry, alert! Sorry for the spoilers! Man. Sorry for the, the spoilers of the fable that's <laughs> centuries old. Spoilers, the Gingerbread Man dies. <laughs> Uh, weirdly, uh, there's similar tales of escaped food people that can be found in cultures all over the world. The, the main character in uh, the case of a Russian one, it takes the form of a bread dough. And then in Germany, they have a pancake. And uh, in Hungary, they have a dumpling that runs away. 
I guess there was like a real problem with like food running away back then. Uh, maybe that was like another thing of like make all your food count. <laughs> it yeah. was a fable. Like if you don't eat your food, it's going to run away and it's going to sleep with your brother or your sister. <laughs> in other news, there's a living museum of gingerbread in Poland, which is kind of like a medieval version of those historical recreation villages where people refuse to break character unless there's like a hostage situation. <laughs> It's located in Torun, Poland. Yeah, the point there is they teach guests all about the history and the process of making it, and it actually lets visitors bake their own gingerbread. Uh, they give you a thorough history of all these rituals and practices associated with it, and, uh, huh, there's a, there's a gingerbread witch? The gingerbread witch, this is from the website, the gingerbread witch and gingerbread master will tutor you to create your own batch using traditional wooden molds. Man, that's whimsical AF. <laughs> I love how in so many European countries, they really just play hard into their history of elves and pixies and shit. They're really proud of it. I remember our friends Russell and Christina visited an elf museum in Iceland where they received an official degree in elfhood or something. <laughs> yeah, I wish Americans could be that whimsical. Like, I guess it's just like an, it's an unfortunate trade-off for freedom and hamburgers and, you know, not the ability to make a bad joke on social media without being arrested. But, uh, yeah, if all of that sounds a little too close to the plot of a JRPG for you, well, the second floor of this museum, ironically, is a bit more grounded. It focuses on old equipment and machinery used by the Rabiansky family, who owned and operated it in the early 1900s. Neat. So, if you're taking a trip to Poland anytime soon, anytime soon after people can actually travel it's... again and the pandemic is over, it sounds like a cool place to check out. I should ask my cousin or aunt if they've ever been there. Alina or Stephen, Stephen, if you're listening, have you ever been to the Gingerbread Museum? Mm. We need to know. Sadly, though, uh, we're going to wrap this up on a bit of a downer because, unfortunately, it seems like Gingerbread is actually losing some of its popularity in Europe based on uh, some things we've read. According to a report from The Times, Gingerbread overall seems to be in a bit of a downward trend across much of Europe, and especially in Ireland, where imports for the cookies, they dropped 60% in the last decade, and domestic production of gingerbread cookies is down a whopping 76%. Sad. How in the world could this possibly be? Everything we've seen in our research suggests that Europe as a whole seems to cherish the tradition of baking gingerbread cookies. Maybe Ireland specifically is tired of all the ginger jokes? I mean... To be fair, everybody knows that gingers don't have souls. Yeah, just like that one. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> anyway, this is really bizarre, but like, uh, maybe it's just a case of like all great empires like have to come to an end eventually. Like gingerbread was born in Europe like almost a thousand years ago, and perhaps we're just witnessing the tragic fall of gingerbread. We tried to see if this was like a worldwide trend, or at least if America was losing interest in gingerbread men as well, but fortunately we didn't see anything else. What we did find was apparently just a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Day, people discovered one of those weird monolith pillars that are being built randomly around the world. Or we say built because we don't know. Aliens could be punking us or it could be some stupid elaborate viral marketing campaign for an upcoming movie. Or hell, maybe it's just some stupid conceptual artist who has nothing better to do with themselves lately. <laughs> anyway, another one of those monoliths was found erected in San Francisco, California on Christmas Day. Only, instead of being stone or metal, this monolith was made of gingerbread. The thing was legitimately like a 12-foot tall stack of gingerbread sheets with like icing and candy decorations and everything. Like, if these things really were like 
made by aliens and like damn it's good to know that like these interstellar trolls both a have a sense of humor and b they celebrate christmas <laughs> yay sadly though this gingerbread pillar didn't last long it was found on christmas day and 24 hours later it had collapsed i mean yeah it was made of gingerbread fair cookies aren't particularly well known for being a construction medium <laughs> Hell, you remember the tale of Hansel and Gretel, right? The old witch trapped them in her house to fatten them up so she could eat them for dinner. But the kids, they got tired of eating candy and they were really in the mood for some Wiener schnitzel, so they both just said, like, fuck you, witch, we're out of here. And they just, like, munched a hole in the wall and they ran away and they escaped to freedom. I think that's how the story of Hansel and Gretel goes. Actually, I'm not sure if that's how it goes after all. Well, too bad, because that about covers it for today's main course. Hopefully you guys saved room as always for some dessert. <laughs> Okay, we are going to be doing review roasts today because we haven't done one in like over a month or something. It's been a few episodes and we love it, but I am so thirsty. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to make it. You were supposed to say something there because oh. I was drinking water and we didn't want to just have four seconds of dead air. <laughs> Sorry. We had burritos for dinner. We went to, um, actually, we went to a place called Taco Express Plus, which is what we're going to be featuring in review roasts tonight. It's actually... This place, uh, it's it's really confusing. It's called Taco Express Plus on, like, Google listings. But then I think the building just says, like, taco or burrito or something. It doesn't... But then it also says something in, like, uh, Arabic, I think, because it's, like, a, it's a halal food establishment, too. But, like... But then I think they've had menus that, like, called it, like... Like, Mexican Plus or something. Like, it goes by, like, three different names. It's really weird. But, yeah. Uh, it is a little, like... It's kind of yeah. sketchy, but, like, not really sketchy. It's just, like, it's confusing. It's yeah, very it's confusing. clearly, like, it, I think it's a case of the owners are probably, like, some, like, Middle Eastern people in their, like, 60s or something that don't know to just go online and, like, do the thing where you, like, claim your business yeah. on, like, Yelp and Google and shit. But, like, it doesn't matter because they make really good burritos. They do. This place is really interesting because, as I mentioned, it uh, they serve halal food, but it's a burrito joint. So it's this weird fusion, like, joint venture between burrito grill and Middle Eastern food and curries and stuff. So, like, they have, like... First of all, their menu is gigantic. Yeah. They have, like, 80 things on, like, the big menu sign. But, like, they have, like, all your, like, they have regular burritos, like, beef and chicken. They have tropical burritos, barbecue burritos. They have a buffalo chicken burrito. They have, like, Mediterranean flavor burrito. They have burritos with, like, crispy potatoes. And, like, they, it's insane. Yeah, it's like a bajillion burritos. But then in addition to that, they also have, like, uh, like meat and rice dishes. Uh, they have falafel, tandoori wings. But then when it gets real interesting is they also have like curry flavor burritos. Like they yeah. have chicken tikka masala burritos and falafel burritos and like kofta korma, like kebab burritos and stuff. It's really cool. And like they're, you know, like it's a tiny little hole in the wall. It's a burrito joint. So it's like, it's, you know, it's average prices for a burrito place, like nine bucks for like a big burrito. And they're like, they're big, like. Uh, they're what the big. Hell? Yeah, they're big burritos, like the mission-style burritos we covered in our burrito episode. For more information, go listen to the burrito <laughs> episode. It's on YouTube somewhere. But yeah, they're, like, they're the size of your forearm. They're really, really <laughs> big. So we went there today, and um, that got us in the mood for some review roasting. So 
Without further ado, if this is your first time, Review Roast is a recurring column where we browse online reviews of our favorite local restaurants and businesses, and we valiantly defend their honor against the villains who have sullied their hallowed names. There's a lot of assholes out there, and we don't have time to roast them all, so let's see that what we could find. Yeah. Originally, we were going to try to do a Review Roast for one of the local bakeries around here to keep with the theme of gingerbread men, yeah. but like, all the bakeries around here that we go to just they had really good reviews yeah, and like the the few one star reviews they had weren't really outlandish enough yeah. to like roast all so, five like, stars yeah, good good for them too like, damn good yeah too damn good all of them like so great but uh not good, good for them yeah, bad for us not not good for reviewers not entertaining we could just like read through all the five star reviews like oh you enjoyed your service loser <laughs> fuck you but that's not very nice. Yeah. Those people don't deserve it. Instead, we have a list of five or six reviews from assholes who do deserve to be made fun of because they are assholes <laughs> that deserve to be made fun of. Our first review uh, comes from Samiola C on Yelp, who gives Taco Express a one-star review. She states, Watch out for food poisoning. This place is not hygienic at all. The last time I threw up this much was 10 years ago. My doctor said the chicken in the burrito definitely had salmonella and other bacteria. Their ambience is of a fast food place, but they don't really care about service. You'd walk in and see no one behind the counter for five minutes. I wonder, what do they do in the back? This place is one of the most disgusting places I've ever been to, so be careful and don't expect the food to be fully cooked. I like that she throws in that... Uh, oh. They, I don't know if it's a he or she. Sorry. That they, like, the last time they threw up this much was 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, that means nothing to anyone except no, you. Like, no, what happened doesn't. 10 years ago? What if she, what if she threw up very, a small amount, like, 10 years ago? Like, oh, yeah. That doesn't sound so bad. But just, like, the, the... Yeah, like, I went, like, 15 years without vomiting yeah. at all. So, like, that means, like. Okay, Seinfeld. Sure thing. Um, yeah, the, this review is just stupid, though, because it's, like, he, okay. I'm not saying that she didn't throw up, but here's the thing is, like, it's when you eat at a restaurant, you have to accept the risk of eating at a restaurant, which is that even the nicest restaurant on the planet runs the risk that it could become contaminated because germs are fucking tricky. They float around in the air. There's a freaking pandemic right now because we didn't realize <laughs> that germs could fly out yeah. into the air when you're talking. So like that you run that risk when you go out to eat. It's usually very, very low, even at like hole in the wall places, but it can happen sometimes. Here's the problem though. Here's where I think that this review is full of shit is that she says, my doctor said that the chicken and the burrito definitely had salmonella and other bacteria. You're a liar. <laughs> Your doctor has no way of telling that. Unless you saved that chicken and yeah. put it in the refrigerator and preserved it perfectly for 24 hours or however long until you get to the doctor and then you brought that chicken sample in like on ice and you were like i need you to check this chicken out and make sure that it was good and then he's like nope i uh i've run some tests i've for you because you vomited i <laughs> i ran rigorous testing and i cultured the bacteria that was on this chicken and I discovered that it does have salmonella. No! Yeah. No one does that. The only, no doctor's ever done that. The only way they can ever, like, pinpoint specifically what caused food poisoning is if there's, like, a bunch of people got yeah. sick at one place, like, at one time. Like, yeah. otherwise there's no over way for them to a, know what exactly made you sick. Over a long term, and, like, the Department of Health goes in and tests the fucking yeah. establishment. And they go, oh, we discovered that the lettuce has E. coli. Fuck you. Like, get it. 
Like, here's probably what happened. Well, she probably went to the doctor because she hadn't vomited this much in 10 years. She went to the doctor and said, hey, doctor, I threw up, and I don't know why. And the doctor was probably like, did you have food at a restaurant? And she was like, yes. And the doctor was probably like, well, probably what happened was, like, there, it might have, like, you might have gotten food poisoning. They were like, what's food poisoning? Food poisoning is when you, like, you know, your food gets, like, bacteria on it, and it makes your stomach, like, upset, and you might throw up. And they were like, aha! It was definitely contaminated with salmonella. So, like, it's just... Like I said, I, like, yeah, places you can get food poisoning from, but, like, trying to build it up, like, my doctor definitely is just, like, no. So, yeah. Stop trying to be dramatic. Like, it sucks that you probably possibly got food poisoning. Who knows? Like, she could have just been an asshole and just threw up. But, like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Like, sometimes you get food poisoning from places, and it's usually a one-off occurrence. Like, mm -hmm. I also yeah. just want to, like, I don't know, the complaint about, like, you would walk in and see normal behind the counter for five minutes. Like, that one, like, tells my jimmies just specifically now because like there's always only like one or two people working yeah. there and as someone who was just like running a store by myself for two weeks while my coworker was on vacation like i don't know maybe they had to go pee like yeah. what give them a break like maybe they were restocking food yeah maybe, maybe they're they just doing stuff like just because no one came to World the counter stop for you as soon as you enter the room doesn't mean that they were doing something nefarious no, but she says i wonder what do they do in the back you know what they're doing in the back they're is coughing, the, on, yeah, your they're coughing <laughs> on your burrito they're jerking off into it they have just like a vial just, they just have a cultured vial of salmonella e coli and herpes and they just they just dump it into the food they have they have a powdered form of it they just they're like hey she here she comes throw it in right they're in the back they're probably doing fucking business related shit like fuck the, like i said the world doesn't stop for you Ugh. uh this next one comes from ss i'm assuming those are her initials ss uh from dallas texas i guess she was visiting here or moved I don't know. Yeah. she had such a bad experience that she moved, <laughs> she moved to texas. texas uh this one's ridiculous so um this one i believe is also from yelp Horrible, horrible. Oh, excuse oh, no. me. It's so horrible. <laughs> I, I feel disgusting now. I'm so sorry. Horrible, horrible customer service. The lady gave me the wrong order. I called right away and was told that someone would call back in an hour. They didn't. So I called back and was told to bring the old order back and that I would get a new one. That kind of policy is unheard of and I should have just been given my correct order, no questions asked. I threw out my wrong order and when I told her so, she asked why I threw it out and then it waited to blah 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 blah. It just goes on like this. Fucking, this person, this, this person's a lunatic. She, so basically, she got the wrong order, threw the food out instead of bringing it back like any normal yeah. human being does when you get a wrong order. And then when the place called, uh, when she called the place and they said, hey, uh, just bring it back and we'll give you your food. She got mad at them for that and said, I've never heard of She says, what kind of policy is on her? Like, Everyone? Every place. Like, every restaurant in history, I think. You know why you have to bring back the old order? So you don't just scam a free order yeah. of food. If you just, like, she doesn't know, you can't prove you actually threw it out. What if you just go there and get your right order and then actually just, ha like, yeah. you now held you on got, to the food? Yeah, now you have two meals. Four burritos for free. Like, I understand that, like, you might be an honest person, but... No, 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 no. You're posting on Yelp. Yeah. I don't know about that. But, like... You may be an honest person who isn't trying to scam shit, but there are many, many people in this world who try to scam free shit from companies. And I know because I have to deal with them all the time at work. Yeah, she doesn't, and she like, can't, she can't comprehend that. Like, it, it, you need proof that you, something was incorrect. She, well, cause she, she, later on in her review, she goes, oh, uh, like, what are these people doing with the old orders? Are they taking them back and reselling them? Never coming here again. Like. 
No, they're not reselling them. They need proof that you're not full of shit. Yeah. And again, what what normal human being gets a wrong order and throws it out immediately? Yeah. Oh, like this goes back to what I was what we was complaining about earlier in the episode. It's like just spoiled pieces of shit. Oh, this isn't the food I ordered. It's perfectly fine, but into the trash it goes. Fuck you, you spoiled piece of shit. Like, no, they're not going to resell it, but maybe someone at the, one of the employees will take it home and get a dinner out of it. Or maybe they'll give it to a friend. What difference does it make? Every place on the planet, if you bring your, when you get a wrong order, it's normal friggin' thought process to go, oh crap, I got the wrong order. Let me go back and like, you know, and see if they make it right. Yeah, Which, it's also weird that she called. Like, what does she expect them to do for her house? They're gonna shove it through the phone. They'll be like, <laughs> like, oh, right away, here, we're gonna magically beam it through your smartphone. Just like, burritos coming out. I understand it's really annoying to have to drive back. Apparently, if you're coming from Texas, that's a long drive. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know if I, if we brought food home and saw it was the wrong order, first of all, unless it was something we just didn't eat, we'd probably be like, oh, well, we'll just eat this. Yeah. But second I've of all... I've eaten wrong orders before, and it's like, eh, it's not... Unless it's literal poison, I'm like, eh, all right. We would, like, go back to the place and be like, hey, look, you gave me the wrong order. Especially because, like, I don't know, it could just be a case of, like, your correct order is sitting there on the counter and yeah. they just need to switch yep. bags. That's the, stu- that's the worst part about this, is the place, they tried to make it right. They yeah. did the normal thing that all restaurants do. It was like, oh, okay, we'll give you your right order. Just come in and pick it up. Like, so, so let me get this straight. They made an honest mistake. You got in touch with them. They picked up the phone and they tried to make it right. And you're mad at them because you're a spoiled piece of shit. Go to hell. You also Fuck. probably just waited like an hour too. Like, Fuck you, SS. <laughs> if that's your real name. Why don't you read this next one right. from our friend? Uh, AKM. AKM. I don't know. I, I I don't know if Yelp was like abbreviating stuff or whatever. You. I think this one might be from Google. It might actually. be Google. But anyway, um, the review says. Food's good, but the owner is cheap and constantly increases the prices. I don't understand how someone can lower quality and charge more. What is wrong with you? Used to be a good place, but over time, food has been sucking and the prices have been skyrocketing. Horrible, but true. (laughs) I mean, this review is from 2018. We've been going there since, like, before then. I've been going there since college. I've been going there for, like... Well, I don't want to think about how long ago college was. <laughs> but, oh, like, no. I've, never, I've never seen the prices increase. Nope. And even if they did, I... Uh, that's how spin, that's yeah. how fucking inflation and time works. Yeah. That's how the economy functions, is the price of things go up. And conversely, like, inflation goes up and the value of the dollar goes up or down, depending on how economies work across the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we don't go there, like, constantly, but the times we go there, I've never seen a dip really in quality and again like i said the prices i've never seen them go up it's nine dollars for a burrito <laughs> if nine dollars for a giant burrito that's like the size of a, of a small dog is too expensive for you like go somewhere else go to <laughs> shitty taco bell or shitty chipotle god i like i never understand that complaint where people are like the, the the owner had to raise the prices i'm not going anymore it's like so let me get this straight. They raise their prices, presumably because they because need more money. They need more money, or because even more likely is like their stock is more expensive. Because again, that's how the economy works. That's how capitalism works. Is things gradually increase in price over time. That's how it's functioned since money was invented. And when like your like so if you're a burrito place, uh, if the price of tortillas goes up and the price of chicken goes up and the price of tomatoes goes up and so on, you can't leave your prices the same. Or else you don't make money anymore. So you have to raise the prices of your food slightly. 
apparently AKN, whatever this job, like here, I hope you're listening so you got this this free crash course in fucking economics 101 because holy shit. Next up, uh, this one's a gem. This one's just, this one's just adorable. This is from John M. Uh, who gives it a one star review on Yelp. He says, this place is either four to five star reviews or one star one since their food tastes good but is very unhygienic. As a Stony Brook University student, it is like the place you go to when you're drunk as fuck and you know you're gonna throw up. So you might as well throw up eating unhygienic food that tastes good. Why not have food poisoning and hangover? You won't even be able to tell the difference when you wake up after a blackout. LOL. Also, like, as if you couldn't tell by my reading of this, uh, a lot of spelling mistakes. Writing the word you is just the letter U. Like, the, the, your is you are. Like, <sighs> this guy is just like your class. Like, honestly, I'm not even mad because this is like, this is what you would expect to be going to a burrito joint. It's just a, a drunk, trashy frat fucker. <laughs> like, just a, the, the kind of guy that just like, uh, the kind of guy that like power chugs like an entire case of Bud Light, like a 36 pack that he brought all for himself and then like drives drunk home while listening to Nickelback the whole time. Like no big deal. I'm just a little buzz. Like I just like just in that you're just you post this on the internet. You're just admitting that you're a drunk, that yeah. you're a disgusting piece of shit. You're a fucking slob that's throwing up on a regular basis. Con contrast this to his friend who uh, I Posted the review, the same review on the uh, the same date from the same place, Kew Gardens, New York. The person that complained about food poisoning. Um, I don't even know if this guy ate here because, like I said, same date, same place, uh, same city. So I assume it's just his friend who's like, "Oh, yo, you threw up. That fucking sucks." I'm gonna leave them a one star review too. Now, actually, that makes me question if uh, that other person who thought that they got food poisoning was actually just a drunk yeah. asshole too. Just because you fucking blackout drunk, uh, that doesn't mean you got food poisoning. It means you're a fucking. It means you're an alcoholic. <laughs> Fuck you. That's not a one star. That doesn't deserve a one star review for this place. Also, just from a statistic standpoint, is that this place has either four or five stars or one star because the food is good but it's unhygienic? So shouldn't you average it out to like at least a three star review? You would think, but uh, again, I don't think frat boys uh, can do basic math like that. I don't think they know what averaging out is. Also, um, not for nothing, but this place. Um, again, I work in pest control, so I've seen quite a fair share of really disgusting, shitty insides of restaurants. This place, from what I could see, I give them credit, the friggin' grill portion of it is right in the front. Like, you could honestly, if there was no one there, you could reach over the counter and touch the grill and, like, just help yourself to, like, ingredients. That's how friggin' close and open and upfront it is. It is right there. They're not hiding anything. If it was that disgusting, you'd be able to see it with your fucking eyes. And every time we go there, yeah, it's a little shabby because, like I said, it's a hole-in-the-wall place. It's not a freaking five-star restaurant. But, like, that's what you get when you go to a Mexican grill. It's cheap and it's easy and it's casual. So this place is not that gross. Like, it could be so much worse. <laughs> oh, no, the grill has some grease on the, the, the grill top. Oh, so gross. Fucking, like... You wouldn't think that a freaking frat boy talking about how, uh, what it's like to get blackout drunk. You'd be like, ew, it's care about hygienic. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure passing out your own vomit is, uh, is very hygienic. This next one, I think this was from Google as well. Yeah, I think this is Google. This is from Dominador Pascual? Hey, Dominador Pascual. <laughs> um, 
Another one-star review. They don't deliver. They good good my food order and payment and no food. Angry. I feel cheated. After several hours and a dif- and difficult time on the phone, I got my refund. Refund? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah refund. No end. Uh, this one's just confusing. Yeah, I mean, I feel I like... So, like... I mean, like, now they're probably doing delivery through, like, Grubhub and shit. This is from three years ago, so, like, they probably weren't delivering then. But, like, first of all, like, maybe I'm the weird one. I don't assume a restaurant delivers. I don't. Unless it's, like, a pizza place. Not before this year. I I didn't think so. So, like, I just picture this person calling in an order, like, and the restaurant assuming it's for, like, pickup. Yeah. (laughs) And then they make it, and it's just sitting there, and this person doesn't go to get it, and then calls them angry, and they're just, like... Your, your food is ready. You can here's, come get it. Here's where you know that this guy is the dumbest idiot. Here's when you know. There's no way for you to fucking place an order and make that mistake. Because if you're under the impression that this place does delivery and you're on the phone with them for three minutes giving an order and at no point they ask for your address, yeah, you should know that they're not bringing that food <laughs> to your stupid fat face in your door because you're too lazy to go get it yourself. You're an idiot if you call them up, ask for food, and then give them your credit card information and pay for a meal, and then they don't say, what's your address? And you hang up, and you sit there with a fucking smile on your face like, yeah, I can taste those burritos. You're stupid doesn't begin to describe that. I don't even know what the hell that is. I can just picture them just sitting there like, ah, let me just kick back and just put my feet up on the table. Those burritos will be here in 15 minutes. Huh, uh, I didn't tell them my address. They didn't ask for it. They didn't mention anything about delivery, but ah, it'll be here <laughs> soon. Oh my God. Yeah. That is really, really dumb. Yeah. And they probably. Like, also, presumably they had the menu if they were able to order. Usually a menu states if you, like, can get takeout. Because it usually says, like, delivery within, like, yeah. blah miles or whatever. Like, how much for delivery? So, like, I don't know, this person oh, just I... dumb. Wow. <laughs> I think this is our last one. Yeah, we yeah. got one more review left. This one comes from Rita T. It's R-I-D-A, Rida. which will make sense in yeah. a moment. Rida, Rita, whatever. Maybe it's Rida T. Maybe it's like a cool rapper dude. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm Rida T. I'm going to tell you all about my burrito experience. No, nah, I'm sure it's like some privileged white girl. Uh, one star on Yelp. I'm a regular at both of their locations in Ronkonkoma and Selden. The food is great, price is perfect, the owners are extremely nice and hospitable, never had a bad experience. Sounds like a one-star review, you know, one-star experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. The owners are foreign, and foreign people frequent this place because it's halal food, and we can sit and have a meal with our families in peace. I visited the Selden location today. I first placed an order over the phone and was met with an angry Hispanic woman, extremely rude to me on the phone and in person picking up the food. This place is a small business run by good people with terrible customer service, unnecessary rudeness. I started to spell my name for her to write it down in my order, and she rudely replied, We don't really care about the spelling. We just want to know how to say it. So just say the name. I guess they memorize every order and every person that walks in, so there's no need to write them down on the orders. If customer service is not improved, they'll be losing a regular customer. So let me get this straight. You like the food in both locations. You like the price. The owners are extremely nice and hospitable. You've never had a bad experience. You like to go there, and you've gone there many times before. And you give them a one-star review because the woman didn't care how you spell your name. Are you fucking insane? 
There's like a Are meme. Are you insane? There's a meme about like cup Starbucks cups and people's names just spelled like completely wrong and goofy and shit. And it's like it's a it's a laugh. Like it, it's funny to see you you say your name and see how people interpret it. Like I don't know. Like it doesn't fucking matter. If you think like how does this woman function? in the world in the real world if she considered someone saying oh i don't need the spelling your name we just need to know how to say if that was rude to the point that she was upset about that how do you get on in a real world where people cut in line and tell you to fuck off and flip you off and like fucking shit in the street like was she worried that someone named rita was gonna place an order at the same time rita instead of rita and then like she'd come in to get her order and it'd be a big wacky like sitcom mix-up i i it's just like i Every time we do review roast, we have a review like this, and I love to be angry about it because it's just it's just so asinine. It's just the it's just the shittiest side of humans to just be like, I've come here and I love them and they have made the best food and I've been here so many times and I'm a regular and I love them. But I had a weird experience once, so I'm leaving a one star review that's gonna factor into analytics and make them get less like showing on search results because I'm a petty piece of shit. Like Nobody cares how you spell your name. And, like, even if the person was like, fuck you, I don't need your spelling your name (laughs) on the phone, like, that's still not worth a one-star review. You could be like, oh, the person was rude, but the food was still really good. Like, three stars. Like, what what world do you live in? How fragile are you? Like, especially, like, it sounds like she started spelling it. Like, the way she worded it, it sounds like they didn't even ask for the spelling. She started spelling it out for them. We're like, I don't care. Like, (laughs) My name is Rita, and they were like, okie dokie. They were like, that's R-I, I I is an intelligence, D is in dinosaur. And they were like, we don't don't care. We don't need that. And she was like, how dare you? I should tell you how to spell my name. I have every right to tell you to spell my name. Like, oh, my God. I I wish it was Rita TV because that would be way cooler. Oh, God. Enough of this, though. With that, we're all set here. Check, please. Well, that is it for this week's edition of Poor Couples Food Guide Deep Dish Podcast. Remember, we are in fact the only podcast left where you're more likely to learn about cereal than serial killers. Search recipes, cooking tips, and other cool stuff on our website, poorcouplesfoodguide.com. And don't forget, you can always write in to us at mail at poorcouplesfoodguide.com to ask for any food advice that you may need. You can also send in any comments, feedback, criticism, hate mail, love mail, chain letters, postcards, whatever random ponderings should pass your mind. Once again, that's mail at poorcouplesfoodguide.com. Or if you like, you can hit us up on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as well. Or you can leave us a one-star review, and we'll roast the fuck out of you <laughs> on next episode. While you're at it, try and give us some ratings and reviews on whatever platform you're using. It really helps us gain exposure, which is great while we're trying to help Deep Dish's audience grow. Or if you're on YouTube, please give us a like. And if you haven't, smash that subscribe button to pieces. Or there's also that Rate This Podcast go thing to that rate, we forgot to link. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash deepdish, and you can review us on several platforms at once. That would be really, really helpful yeah. if we do that. But, uh, yeah, um... We don't really have much else uh, to say except uh, we're going to be like working on probably a schedule of one on-topic episode followed by one off-topic episode. And we'll do those probably once a month or one on-topic per month, one off-topic per month. So maybe every two weeks you'll get an episode. It's been a little touch and go with the holidays and everything going on in the world, but uh you know, you can expect to at least get one on-topic episode per month, and we'll upload those in sections like we do on YouTube, like usual. 
Um, quick shout out to nobody for guessing this week's episode because um, I think we just said it in the last episode anyway. Yeah, plus people don't do that. Like no one guesses on it anymore. If you want to try and guess next week's episode or next month's episode, don't because we're just gonna tell you what it is. Actually, no, we haven't decided what it is yet. <laughs> Guess what it is, because maybe we'll use that suggestion, yeah. because we're not sure yet. Yeah, uh, maybe it'll be chocolate. Chocolate or protein shakes, we'll see. Until then, we bid you a good day and good eats, so stay hungry and keep feeding that brain. And tummy! You can get a, a jewelry of just a person's voice? Yeah. I don't know how they get it, but... Yeah, you can get it of like the, what is that even called? Oh, of the wavelengths. Yeah, of the wavelengths of someone talking. Oh, like okay. I feel like traditionally it's someone being like, "I love you." I love you, not balls. Yeah. <laughs>